Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 39, What is Your Liberation Philosophy? Featuring a panel conversation with Toya Lillard, Robin Walker-Murphy, and Darrell Cooper. One size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember the walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA Podians. Thanks for listening and thanks for being a part of our global community. Tell your peeps to subscribe on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts or any podcast player to get the episodes as soon as they're uploaded. Also, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We also have a teaching artistry pod shop. Go to teachingartistry.org slash pod shop and get yourself a tee. Uh, there are crew necks, there are v-necks and long sleeve tees. There are tank tops. Maybe a cozy hoodie is what you need in these cold months. Um, there are also mugs for your hot toddies or hot chocolate and tote bags, which are my personal favorite. And we have recently launched a podcast e-zine where you can get a deeper dive into and information about each episode and its guests. So check that out. It is Black History Month or what I've been hearing, Black Future Month. And I was thinking about the moment that we're in and where, where has my journey taken me? Um, and actually, you know how Facebook has those memories about a few weeks ago, not weeks ago, a few days ago, um, a memory popped up from two years ago. And I attended an event um, at the Ford Foundation that was hosted by a group looking at, um, it was in 2019, and the fact that uh, um, it was the 400th anniversary of the first uh, ship that landed on on our um, what becomes America, its shores, having um, kidnapped, stolen um, Africans, uh, brought them over, and then um, made them to work and and be enslaved. Um, so the the event was called Four Hundred Years of Equality, and that particular session had a deep impact on me because of two things. One, it was um, Mindy Fuller Love who was, who was saying, we've done this, the, this very deep research um, 
and had like this amazing timeline. And that was what the picture was of. But we were also, we're also charging um, those in this room who were like culturals and university representatives um, to say, let's, what do we want our future to be? Let's think about equity. So let's look to the past and learn, but also how do we imagine a more equitable future, more just future? Um, and that meant a lot to me, one, to have been invited, but two, to it helped to reframe what racial justice could look like. And it obviously has continued to evolve. That idea has continued to evolve over time and the moment that we're in right now, right? So those of us who are in um, arts and arts education, um, we have the ability, we know this, we have the ability to impact change through the creative arts. And everything that we do should be in service of equity, cultural, racial, and social equity. And I believe that the moment that we're in is a beautiful struggle to continue to deepen our own self examinations and internal interrogations, ultimately to be in service of real change. So consider how you currently celebrate Black History Month and take it like 20 steps further. Engage in a conversation with yourself and with others around anti-black racism. Um, read books like Stamped from the Beginning by Ibram X. Kendi. Uh, yeah, I've been going to this webinar series that's been talking about advancing, like using your privilege to advance racial equity and acknowledging the fact that as a black woman, as a woman of color, um, I do have privilege as an executive. I have, I have privilege and I have the ability to advance equity by leveraging my power and leveraging that privilege and to stop thinking as though I don't have privilege. So I, I offer that as well to you all. And I think being fortified from the last, um, you know, since the pandemic started and we launched the YouTube channel and being able to have very targeted conversations with guests. Um, first with Keep Making Art, uh, we were talking about making art and being creative during the pandemic, especially then when we didn't really fully understand where we would be, um, you know, and that we'd be in it for m much more than a few weeks a few months, and now almost a year. Um, and then We Can't Go Back, um, which is a, a project that I am uh, so, so proud of, um, where we examine uh, anti-racism practices in the arts and arts education fields. And both of those series that I just named weren't created and produced in partnership with Creative Generation. Um, so if you haven't watched any of those episodes, there's like 50 of them, check it out. Um, but I'm bringing this up for a couple of reasons. One is, um, for, we can't go back the video series, creative generation is actually, um, putting together a, a report of our learnings, our findings, 
um, and more resources from that series. There, that I like I said, t- there are twenty episodes of that. So, um, be on the lookout for that. Um, the other reason is that we're we're picking back up, um, and starting to interview guests, and so, um. The focus will be for the audio platform, this platform, and we'll have new guests where we are, of course, going to learn about their journeys um, as young people um, and then through the arts and arts education in terms of their career. But we will also weave in uh, into the conversation that these particular topics specifically around anti-racism and liberatory practices, um, teaching artists advocacy and much, much more. And then the last reason I'm I'm bringing all this up is because this episode is from We Can't Go Back with an an amazing, amazing panel who are fiercely anti-racist. So let me talk through those folks. Um, First, we have Toya Lillard. She is the executive director of Vibe Theater Experience and has been a guest on the show before. She is someone that I greatly admire. And she fosters and cares so much for black women, black girls, gender expanding youth. Um, and she's, she's just like a force and making stuff happen. And I'm here for it. Then there's Robin Walker Murphy, who is the executive director of Groundswell. Also a tremendous powerhouse in this field uh, with a specialty in social justice. Um, And that is the work that um, is really that she's very rooted in and is also a beautiful, beautiful model for me. And Darrell Cooper, who's the founder of Cultural Innovation Group, also has been um, a guest on this show and keep making art. Um, And Darrell is easily one of my most favorite people in the whole wide world. Again, what can I say? A force and has his own show called Flow. Together, Toya and Robin have a weekly chat called Black Women Are Reliable Sources or B-Wars, which is hosted on Zoom and broadcasts on Facebook Live on usually on Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. They support black women in this field and discuss topics that are more broadly pertain to anti-racism and anti-blackness. And they invite guests to join, uh, join the conversation. Like they've had um, a friend of our, uh, of our podcast, Kwanis Floyd. And late last year they had um, a session where it was a panel discussion with Darrell Cooper and Gary Padmore. And that conversation was fire. Um, so I immediately was like, please, please, please come on my show. Please, please, please. And so I'm absolutely thrilled that they were able to join and, um, really excited to share this with y'all. So buckle up cause they get in it. We all get in it actually. And I think that, um, yeah, lean in. Here is episode 39. What is your liberation philosophy? Welcome to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. That's me. 
This is a podcast that celebrates artists and advocates for community engagement. And this is We Can't Go Back, a video series uh, in partnership with Creative Generation meant to examine, interrogate, and confront racist policies and systems in the arts. This series amplifies leaders and arts in the arts and culture sector who drive radical change in communities through anti-racist and liberatory practices. Subscribe to the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I identify as a black cisgendered woman. My pronouns are her, she, hers. And I am uplifting and paying respect to my ancestors from across the African diaspora uh, who have been stolen from their native lands as well as within the US. I live in Brooklyn and these are the stolen lands of the Muncie Lenape and Canarsie nations. And I pay respect and uplift the indigenous diaspora woven into my history through a network of solidarity and love from the Cherokee, Uchi, and Creek nations. Let's get to our guests. I'm unbelievably excited to welcome our panelists, Toya Lillard, Robin Walker Murphy, and Darrell Cooper. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Um, thank you all so very much for joining me. And uh, let's start by going around and let us know who uh, your role in arts and arts education and um, a little bit about yourself. Let's start with Ro uh, Robin. Hello, very happy to be here. Um, my name is Robin Walker Murphy. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I identify as someone who is um, trying to bring about freedom in any way that I believe that we can. And the way that I do that is through arts and arts education. Um, I primarily identify as a social justice uh, arts educator. Um, and currently I am the executive director of Groundswell. Um, my overall mission statement is to get free um, and to get free in any way that I believe that we can. And um, I believe that black people um, have always used art to free themselves. We're thinking about enslaved people um, using song, using dance um, as concrete, practical, liberatory ways to free themselves. Um, that social justice arts education continues in that tradition when it's done well and done authentically. Um, Groundswell is in its 25th year. Um, we work with youth, artists, and communities to create public art that um, looks at issues of social and racial justice. Um, and we've had over about 600 murals at this point um, all over New York City. So that's who I am. Welcome. Toya? Hello, my name is Toya Lillard. I identify as a black woman, cisgendered. I identify uh, primarily as an artist, as an abolitionist, as a mother, a daughter, a sister, a cousin, a granddaughter, a friend. I am executive director of Vibe Theater Experience, a 15-year-old arts education organization really dedicated to centering the narratives and lived experiences of black girls, young women, and, and gender expansive youth. We work with uh, our participants to write, produce, perform uh, work that 
is relevant to them and really speaks to the issues that they're facing every day. So through theater, music, and other media, our young people are speaking truth to power. They're advocating for changes that will improve their lives, improve our lives, and improve the world. I also uh, am a proud board member of the New York City uh, <laughs> New York City Arts and Education Roundtable, also the Downtown Brooklyn Arts Alliance. Uh, and I'm really happy to be here and in such esteemed company. Thanks. Darrell. Uh, hello, my name is Darrell Cooper. Um, I identify as a uh, son to LaVita Cooper and Henderson Cooper uh, in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, as a brother um, to Edmund Cooper and Tawana Lanzett Cooper uh, and Takata Cooper, uh, my siblings also in Alabama, uh, as an uncle uh, to nieces and nephews who uh, are trying hard to break uh, the system of um, uh, inequality and inequity that uh, to no fault of their own has been passed down intergenerationally and epigenetically to them. Um, and I'm here today as uh, founder and CEO of Cultural Innovation Group, LLC, a boutique consultancy uh, in New York. And I with all those things being said, uh, I, I am those things and I'm also am becoming, uh, trying to become better at those things and uh, other than those things is, is well at the same time, uh, the next version of who I am. So, you know, I'm always defining and redefining what that really means. Um, but I'm very happy today to be in this uh, virtual space um, with people who I, I very highly admire, whose work um, I follow closely. Um, and I love the fact that, um, you know, we start off with land acknowledgements uh, because I do want to acknowledge that, uh, you know, I am occupying the stolen land of the Lenape people. Um, and I think it's time for us, all of us to be able to reclaim uh, uh, this stolen time and space that we're now in. Well, thank you all for joining. I mean, I can't. I literally can't. Um, so I, I've been trying to think about ways to, to, to kick off this conversation. And I think what I need to do is acknowledge the three of you and how you've influenced my life and my work. So, Robin, I'll start with you. You... Um, at one point you worked for one organization where you organized uh, a keynote by Sean Jinwright, who has had a tremendous, tremendous amount of influence over me and um, impact on me and my, and the work that we do at my institution, the new victory new 42. Um, and what I recall from that was one, how he was saying things that were in my heart that I didn't have words for. And uh, what I remember um, was how you ended up, doing a Q&A with him and it just sort of solidified so much of where I knew we needed to go and so that has really laid some groundwork for where I think I am at least in this moment so thank you for that um Toya I remember you uh the first time I I'd seen you many times but the first time I remember being in space or sharing space with you was I believe it was last summer or maybe it was the summer before um where your there was a performance troupe 
from Vibe Theater Experience performing as part of a conference or pre-conference. And you spoke so eloquently about um, how meaningful the, the and, and important the work is and how we need to be seeing young black women um, and not uh, addressing them from this deficit perspective, but actually from a growth perspective and how much asset they had. And they showcased all of that and more. And it was, it was a very powerful moment for me. Um, and Darrell, you and I have, have crossed paths in many ways. Um, and I remember sitting after one of our classes and talking to you and you were, had this inkling of an idea around flow and how you were moving forward with your cultural innovation group. And um, I just remember being like, I don't know why you're in my class because <laughs> I should be taking a class from you. Um, and so I just felt like we had, we had sort of created a very lovely collegiate space amongst each other and the kind of support that you give this podcast and me is is uh more than I could ever ask for so I just want to say thank you to each of you for you know just being you because I see you I see you doing the work I have been seeing you do the work and in this uh, particular moment I look to you to help me think of, uh, and understand how I can move forward in support of the work and and moving forward in terms of anti-racism so thank you so Upon that, my question really is that in these in this particular video series, we've been asking, um, you know, how what are some concrete actions that arts institutions um, need to take to restructure, dismantle, et cetera, um, systems of white supremacy that are embedded into our culture? And you all were on a panel. Um, where Robin and Toya, you two were sort of leading the conversation um, on B-Wars and you started to get into arts education right towards the end and I was like, go there! And you're like, Courtney, you don't even want us to go there, but I want you to go there. So I thought we could pick up there. <laughs> um, so where, where, do you, where would you say we are now? And what do you see happening in relation uh, to racial justice in the arts and arts education sectors? Well, um, first, uh, shout out to B Wars, Black Women Are Reliable Sources, uh, your weekly opportunity to uh, chat about uh, these issues and other issues relevant to centering Black women's leadership, believing and trusting Black women. So I think uh, there's a few things happening at once and everyone is dizzy and confused and scared and frustrated. Uh, I've been fortunate I guess fortunate to be in a number of rooms uh, where uh, there is a reckoning happening. Uh, folk talk about this reckoning um, and associate it with um, cancel culture and uh, associate it with um, institutions and leaders being called out uh, for upholding uh, policies and practices that are counter to their mission, counter to the field, counter to what they said they were dedicated to you know, after May 30th, right? Um, we've seen uh, a lot of conversations around what should be done. We've seen a lot of reticence around actual um, change happening for a couple of reasons. One is um, when you move beyond the conversation, you have to engage around power shifts. When you talk about power shifts and power changes, that means that some people have to relinquish power. And we find ourselves in conversation with the very folk 
who are refusing to relinquish power. So the conversation be becomes, what else can we do? Tell me anything else that we can do besides me giving up my job to change and to you know contribute to the movement and the field but please don't ask me to actually give up my job or any resources we see this uh, when we talk about um, folks um, putting money behind equity diversity and inclusion efforts i was just a part of a conversation where there was a struggle about actually putting dollars behind this something that was deeply embedded in this entity's mission um, we've been having these conversations without putting a dime towards the actual um, realization of, of these dreams. And so there's a difficult um, um, year ahead of us in that we're seeing uh, less resources. We're seeing a call to action around um, a relinquishing of power. We're seeing desperation around cultural institutions even surviving. So that in major institutions uh, that have uh, really uh, made millions and millions of dollars on equity, diversity, and inclusion, and really uh, been tootling along just fine, now find themselves at this place where they're being called in. They don't have as much money to put towards these efforts, and uh, the very folks who are being called in are the ones who are who are have decision making power. So I'll stop there and let somebody else talk. But there's a lot. No, first of all, um, you know, first of all, Courtney, thank you for the acknowledgement of all of the work. I think that's part of what the issue is a lot in terms of I'll be very hyper local New York City arts education institutions don't acknowledge the work of black women don't acknowledge the work of black people in that conference you were talking about happening. I think that was like back in 2000 and maybe 15 it was 2015 when that conference happened and so it's always nice to be acknowledged so i just wanted to thank you because we need more of that um i i agree with everything that toya said and I, the only thing i would add is uh what needs to happen is reflection the question why needs to happen arts institutions that are now just talking about social justice and being comfortable talking about social justice and racial justice needs to reflect and ask themselves, why did it take too long? Why did it take so long? And we see this um, kind of you know, reckoning that's happening now after the uprising in June. We saw this before when uh, Donald Trump got elected and it was like, what do we do? And you had black people, you had marginalized folks, you had indigenous folks, you had everybody telling you that there was an issue, that there was a problem. And especially in New York City arts education, what I felt and experienced was a marginalization of this work, of social justice work. You all do that over there, and then we'll do this work over here. Because the foundation of New York City arts education was really about assimilating black and brown children into white cultures. No one said that. But their idea of what it meant to actually arts education, like the reason for it, was so that these black and brown children could learn culture. And if we could have them sitting in a concert hall, if they knew how to behave and sit on their hands in a theater, then we were helping to assimilate them into white culture. And that's not what was said, but that's exactly what arts education was doing. That's exactly what arts education felt like was a measurement of success. And you had a social justice education who were seen as rebel rousers. We were seen as people who couldn't organize. Even what we were really doing was we were freedom building. And so now then Trump got elected, what do we do? What happened? Ain't nothing happened other than y'all wasn't even listening. 
right? And now you all want to, you know, pretend to be doing the work. I was in a session at a summer forum at a very large arts institution that asked me to come and speak back in 2016, asked me to come and speak at their summer forum. And the head of that very large institution sat right next to me and said to me, oh, you know, what you're doing is fine, but I don't really believe that art, that social justice arts education, like really has seen real tangible results. And then about couple of months ago when the uprising happened, that very same head who wasn't there no more wrote a whole thing about social justice. I was like, wait a minute, wasn't you sitting next to me about four years ago talking about this work doesn't work, but using and co-opting the language that people have worked really hard to actually define and put into action. We see a co-option of that language in these larger institutions and they're the ones that's getting the dollars. So what I would say again, Arts institutions need to ask themselves if we don't, if they don't figure out why we weren't talking about this before, this is just going to repeat and repeat and repeat. This ain't new. We've been saying this. So I think that reflection really needs to happen. Um, I mean, what, what do you add to, to, to Toya and, and Robin on this right here? Uh, the only thing, the only word that I'll throw out there uh, is this idea of exposure. Um, I think I, I'm just going to be very frank. Um, you know, uh, white people who have been working within the arts education field specifically have felt pretty progressive and and a lot of the, what the work that they have been doing uh, over the past few years. And I think what we're seeing, you know, uh, Freire talks about these ideas of uh, binary concepts. So either you're, you know, either you're oppressing me or you're fighting for my liberation. And what we've seen is just how many of them have been oppressing uh, black and brown children through their actions and through their practices. And, there's an, an awakening around those who have thought that they had been doing the work, getting exposed to what they actually have not been doing. So you see uh, campaigns such as We See You White American Theater, and you know, we start seeing faces pop up on there that we know. And you go, so how, how does this person who seemingly, right, is very well-meaning in the work that they have been doing up until this point, is all of a sudden exposed as this person that has not been fighting for my liberation. It's very simple, right? And Toya alluded to this uh, already. When you really start to come up against that wall of power, there's one question that's needed to be asked. What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to give up? Or what are you willing to give into? And for many of them, that answer is actually nothing. And that answer being nothing, yes, you too have been racist. There's nothing else, nothing else to, be said, to be said on it. You too have been complicit in this problem, hands down. I know you think you're well-meaning. And I think it was Resma Minikin who, who said this. Um, I've been reading his book to uh, uh, In My Grandmother's Hands, but he was like, there's no such thing as like uh, a nice, kind, gentle white person. Like either you're racist or you're not. 
There's no in between there. So either you're going to actively be fighting for the liberation of me and my people, or you are not. And and not doing like nobody cares about what if you're kind. You being kind is not keeping my people from being killed in the streets. So yes, we work with them every day. Still with it. Look at the numbers. About ninety percent. And the more you go up, uh, uh, the chain of command at these places, the white more whitewashed they become, right? Nonprofit industry itself is built on exactly what Robin was saying. Like it, it was built, it was a separatist model to begin with. Uh, my mentor, Donna Walker-Kuhn talks about it in her book. It's like, these things are here now. What are you going to do, right? If you, if, if you see your face in these things, or if you understand where you are in the continuum of this fight, and you're still not doing anything to change it, you might as well throw on a MAGA hat and be marching down with tiki torches because you are, you are uh, uh, you know, systematically destroying the future for BIPOC individuals everywhere. So whether you know it or not, like again, Amy Cooper, she, she voted for Obama, not once but twice. A lot of us too, I, I would add, thank you, Darrell. I would add that, extend that to us all in this field, particularly uh, black folks who came into this field to do good. None of us came into the field to do harm, right? Like I wanna go into arts education cause I wanna hurt people. Uh, and we assume that because we are black and we have good intentions and we wanna go in the field and we wanna help people that our presence in these organizations is good. We think, well, why shouldn't I be the director of education here at this big, large institution? This is amazing that I got this job. I'm qualified and I'm the best person for it. And then in doing your job, right, uh, the very function of that job, because our field is rooted in saviorism, we find ourselves performing white supremacy. Uh, we're Black, we love ourselves, we love our folks, but we're performing in a way that only upholds the systems that we say we want to dismantle. So again, everybody, all of us, it would be easy for us to sit here and talk about white people for an hour, but the truth is the work that needs to be done, the power that needs to be relinquished has to be relinquished by, by some folk with privilege, by some brown folk with privilege too, so that we have to interrogate our positioning in the field, we have to interrogate whether we trust and believe in young people. We have to interrogate whether or not we're upholding uh, colorism, if we're, whether or not we're upholding classist sort of uh, tropes, whether or not we are encouraging our young people to follow a path that leads them into these tropes, whether or not we are, our work is better performed someplace else. So I'll speak from the eye and I wrote a grant, I can't believe it, I can't believe I'm saying this on this podcast, to, to, to replace myself because um, I think that the organization should be led by a younger black woman. And I think that the organization should have shared leadership and that there shouldn't be one person expected to be everything, right? The artistic director, the finder, the CFO, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, all the things that I am right now. How unfair is it to bring another young black woman into this field uh, to lead and expect her to do what I did, what I've done for the past eight years. It shouldn't happen, it's not gonna happen. And so change really begins with, okay, I'm giving up my job. I don't know what I'm gonna be doing next, but I know 
that the next leader of this organization is going to come in with a lot more than I did and with a lot more support and a lot more help and a lot more money. So if we're really talking about change and we're really talking about relinquishing power, you might have to raise money and resources for something you won't enjoy. You may have to give up your job, not know what's going to happen next, and make sure that the next person that fills that position has a better chance than you did. I'm talking to Black people. I'm hearing you. I'm, he I'm hearing you. I have been thinking the same thing, you know, and really having to look at myself. I am exactly the person that you just named, BD Dubs. <laughs> That's cool. No, because I, I've also had this thought, like, you know, uh, am I the right person for where we're we're needing to go? And I could see where we have to go, and I can I can help set us on that path. But am I the person who's gonna take us all the way there? I don't I don't know. Um, I don't I really don't know. And that is a, that's terrifying, but it's also, it's sort of liberating to be like, I don't, I, you know, I need to ask myself that question. And we're really leaning into this next question that I had, which was what, it, what do we have to do? So when you're talking Toya to, um, you know, black leaders in this field, BIPOC leaders, um, and, and Darrell, you're, you're bringing up the, you know, our well-meaning white colleagues, what is it like really what is there a specific thing that um each of you could help us know whether it's in your own life or like i think toya you gave us a very specific example this is something that needs to happen this is what i'm doing now and this is what needs to happen next are there other things that we can see that can happen and should happen next that we need to either be laying the groundwork for now or it hasn't the now hasn't started for what needs to happen next does that make sense what i'm saying Well, one of the things that we've all been talking about is the internal and external work that needs to be done by each person in the communities that we're a part of. That, again, we come into this work well-meaning. We come into this work harmed. Um, many of us come into this work having shared many similar lived experiences as our uh, participants, as the people we want to work with and engage and help empower. The problem with that is that unless we're on a healing path, unless we are able to uh, clearly uh, be clear about what it is that our challenges are and where they show up, we can cause harm in this work. So that each individual who is committed, has a lifelong commitment to this movement and this work uh, has, is duty bound to be doing the internal work duty bound to be doing it every day, duty bound to be unlearning and, and, and acknowledging and holding ourselves accountable and calling ourselves in and calling our communities to call us in always, every day. It's hard. It's not easy. Um, but again, Black women have been doing it since, you know, the beginning of time. So I think let's, let's do that. I think particularly for Black women, there needs to be healing, uh, reflection, rest, uh, a pause. Uh, many of us are overworked. Many of us saw our mothers and aunts die doing this work. I speak from the eye. So that um, it's necessary to consider longevity and uh, whether or not you have the capacity to contribute to these movements right now. Many of us don't have the capacity and I think that's okay. Um, I think some folks need to rest. Some folks need to go to work. Uh, we all need to reflect. 
uh, and be trying to learn and unlearn. Um, listening and believing young people is going to be essential. Again, listening to and believing young people is going to be essential. Uh, and then from the funding world, um, I've been a part of these conversations with funders, which is really exciting. And so there's this theme that's emerging about, and we've already known, I mean, Robin, you know, being in organizing, that you water the root of the, of the tree, of the plant, of the thing that you want to live. You water the root. Our field waters the leaves and the flowers and, and assumes that the nutrients are going to trickle down to the root. This is how we functioned in this field. We water leaves. And then we're like, what happened? What's going on? Why aren't you sustainable? If we water the root, that means that we have to redefine what beauty is, what excellence is, what we mean uh, when we say transformation. Watering the root means that we have to interrogate our own complicity in some of these systems that we say we want to dismantle. So that if we really center watering the roots, that means centering girls, centering those who have the very least, then we are on a path to healing, transformation, et cetera, et cetera. And in the funding world, the resources will go to the folks and the entities and the communities that are able to create an ecosystem to feed everybody. You can't get that water in the leaves. Yeah, I also think that specifically for arts education in New York City, I, I think it's going to be important for, you know, all these institutions to be honest about what they want to do. Like, what is your real function? Like, what are you, what is your liberation philosophy? Like, why are you in this work? Like, why do you, this institution, why do you want to work in the Bronx with Black and Brown youth? What are you trying to do? Like, what change are you trying to make? Like, let's have like a real conversation about that and then figure out, should you be there, right? Being very specific about which teachers should be working in these schools. I think that was one of the things that, um, you know, in my work as a teaching artist, um, which was very joyful, that I had to really ask even myself, right? In terms of like looking at, you know, the ways in which, you know, I entered spaces. What does an authentic community engagement look like? You know, how am I coming and how am I showing up? Um, but I really, you know, in, in reading like grant proposals, I've been, you know, doing that a lot, like being on some, you know, panels of now all of these like grants are coming up, like, oh, you know, this is how we do social change and this is how we're doing social justice work. And you are really just regurgitating the same language you've always used and then adding social justice to it. Right. So I just think in terms of New York City arts education, there needs to be a real conversation about what it is actually that these institutions believe that their function is, um, how is it actually playing out in practice, and what is the liberation philosophy? Like I said earlier, for me, I want to get free. You know, I want to get free. I want to make sure that my people are free. And that means a lot of different things in, in different ways. And um, I really would like to see arts, arts organizations be really honest about the work that they're trying to do and who should be leading that work um, on the leadership end as far as artists. Um, so that's what I would like to see happen. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think like, just to kind of think about the systems that we're operating within as arts educators, you have 
two sort of things. There's like the overall sort of educational system or the uh, educational industrial complex. And then there's also the nonprofit industrial complex. Uh, neither system was built to see black and brown people thrive. So now we are already working within a system that has been established for the function of not developing a, critical, a criticality in uh, BIPOC students, uh, but complicity. So, you know, thinking about that, you know, largely systematically, right? Thinking of uh, drilling that down, like individually, I, th I think a lot of us have to ask ourselves some very deep questions on like an individual level, very similar to what Robin is saying, you know, in this moment in time, why am I at this institution to do this work? Uh, there's, you know, especially if there's an acknowledgement around what this uh, industry was built for uh, and who it was intentionally built to leave outside of it. Why are you here today to carry this cross? Are you functioning in the role that is optimal for the liberation of your people? If you are not, what are you going to do about it? And this is going back to what Toya was saying earlier about, you know, the role of other uh, BIPOC leaders in this time as well. You know, uh, while uh, Malcolm and Martin were running in the streets, Thurgood Marshall was running within the system. So, you know, you think about it in like a sports sense, there's like, you know, you have a basketball team, you have an inside game, and then you have an outside game. Where, where are you? And are you in the best position to see your team win? And, the, and, and part of the problem in that it too is like this idea again of criticality. You know, some people may not be aware of all of their skills and their gifts that they've been given or in positions to be able to optimize those skills and those gifts. I'll speak for me, myself real quick. When I used to work at your favorite nonprofit, you know, I knew I enjoyed, uh, I knew I enjoyed speaking. I knew I enjoyed being in front of people. I knew that was something that um, I could do and do effectively. Um, what I didn't necessarily know was that, you know, there, that could be a whole career in itself, but I knew that that was something that could be done. And we hosted this huge event every year, right? So if I can see that in myself, uh, coworkers around me can see that in me, yet still at the institutions, the people in power and leadership were not giving me those opportunities to do it. I look at that and I go, again, this system was not built to see people like me shine. So I have one or two options, right? I can keep pushing against that until eventually, you know, people start giving in and they allow me to be able to perform. Or I can say, no, this is my birthright to use my gift. This did not come from arts education or the nonprofit industrial complex. This was an ancestral gift that was given to me to inspire and to help others. So how am I going to use it? What is your gift? And think about which one of your gifts will make room for you. The ancestors have already given you everything that you need. Like James Baldwin said, our crowns have been bought and paid for. All you have to do is wear it. 
it's time for us to, you asked what changes need to happen. It's time for all of us to start wearing our crown. And we do that individually and we do that collectively. And I would also add, I can't add to that. That was dope, Gerard. I don't have nothing to add to that. Um, this is just saying, and um, we have to redefine impact um, because there's so much impact in how big, how many, how much. You know, we serve 10,000 million kids, or our organization is like a $10 million organization when a lot of the, the, the really authentic groundwork are being done by the smaller organizations. And I give you a real concrete example. I'm gonna just name some names. So, um, so I think it was wait, last year, or maybe it was two years ago, there was an international teaching artist conference, right? And it decided to focus on social justice. And I was shocked, well, I shouldn't have been shocked. I wouldn't say I was shocked. I was like, for real? in terms of who are the lead organizations that were going to be leading this conference. And it was Lincoln Center, Carnegie Hall, Dream Yard, shout out to Dream Yard, worked at Dream Yard many years. I know there's a lot of Black women who built that social justice work myself. I'm a Kojo, Renee Watson, shout out. And I don't know if it was like Lincoln Center, Carnegie Hall, Dream Yard. And was there a fourth one? I don't know who the fourth organization was. Maybe it was, but I was like, really y'all Which one? The round table was okay, but I'm like, y'all really all got together and thought that these large white institutions led by white people should be the institutions that are going to be the presenting partners of the social justice work. Well, we have so many smaller institutions, mid-sized in institutions led by people of color who've been doing that work. Like, how did how did that get past so many people? And I reached out. Um, I may have called and reached out to Eric Booth or emailed. And it was like, oh, it was about who had the capacity, right? Who had the capacity to be able to like, do you understand the ways in which small, mid-sized nonprofits, the kind of reach that we have, the kind of organizing skills? No, it was really this kind of co-option again of this work that, you know, I remember back in 2008, I first started, you know, working at DreamYard and I was talking about social justice. People thought I was talking about kids turning over tables. You gonna have the kids over here turning over tables, doing so, like, again, you stay over here. And it wasn't until me and my black and brown colleagues did the work, did the work and people saw the results of the work, went out, presented the work, right and every time you go to a conference and you go to the social justice session that's always a session that's sold out you can't get in right and it was still this kind of marginalization of the work until it was popular until funders were ready to fund it right when funders wanted to fund it now everybody's saying they're doing it they're not changing anything that they're doing they're re you know phrasing the work they're already doing to get on this bandwagon so it's that kind of like how the bigger institutions have the resources um the staff to be able to to co-opt the work of smaller black and brown institutions that are doing this work all the time and the re redefinition of what impact looks like um, really needs to happen. And then I agree with what Darrell is saying is that we have to lead that charge. I think Toya is doing a really great job at that work of redefining what impact looks like. It's not about like how many 50 million thousand young people. You know, like for us, when I was at working at Dream Yard, now that I'm at Brown School, it's like, look, we had 100% of our young people that got into a college or um, a university last year. 
Now, was it like a hundred of them? No, it was not a hundred of them, right? But it was a good 30 of them. And that's going to have a huge impact on their lives, right? So I think that redefinition of impact needs to happen. And I do, again, think we need to interrogate the ways in which we uphold these larger white-led institutions that have a lot of, of resources who are easily able to gobble up the work the sweat, the labor of smaller institutions and get funded for work that they don't even really know how to do. And I, I just want to add, I want to just from a fiscal perspective, um, I want to talk uh, finance and ethics for a second. Uh, your favorite nonprofit got a PPP loan in the millions and your favorite nonprofit laid off half of his staff um, in August. So we have an ethical problem with um, the uh, institutions that take the lion's share of the funding, got the lion's share of the PPP loans, and then the very people that they just hired five minutes ago in the name of equity, diversity, and inclusion are now unemployed. They are hoarding money and resources so that the people on the top can keep their jobs. They are offering online the labor and work of teaching artists genius teaching artists, genius educators for profit to uphold their bottom line so that the folk, so that their executive staff can live with their 10% pay cut. We have an ethical problem in the field. We have a problem with paying folks a fair wage. We have a problem with resting and relying upon black women to do this racial equity work. We assume that there is no expertise involved we assume that folks can just wake up on a Wednesday and facilitate. We don't want to pay anybody. And we assume that Black women are at the ready to just do it, do it, do it. And part of it is Black women need to stop saying yes. And Black women need to start invoicing. And Black women need to start having hard conversations before we engage in this work. Because the assumption is that we're just going to be here doing it for free, doing it for a cheese doodle and a Metro card. And that's not how transformation happens. Okay. I, I want this conversation to keep going, but we have a time limit. We have a time limit. So I'm going to, I'm going to just move us forward. I, I can't, I like, there's just, there's so much that I want to respond to, but uh, I'm going to move us forward. So let's, let's think down the line. Um, as we wrap up, let's dream for a minute because you all are so deep in realness. It's, it's like your blessings. Um, but let's just dream. So Robin, you talk about you are, you yourself, your own personal mission is about getting free. So what does getting free mean for yourself and for, uh, those of us in our, in this community, um, and in the world, really, if we want to zoom out further, if we, we certainly can do that, too. Mm, that Black people can live, be free. Like, I still have to understand and define what that means, because I've never felt it. That my son can walk outside, and I cannot be afraid. That my husband can go to Rite Aid, and I'm not afraid that he's not going to come back. Right, so there's a basic level of being able to actually feel free, um, that we don't even need any institutions, 
Like we don't need any institutions that we have to go to or we need to lean on um, that we can create, that we can build, that we can sustain ourselves, that we can really dream that we're not always having to be out here fighting and struggling. Um, and that our young people can really see and hope and envision what they want for themselves without any boundaries. Um, that we all can eat, that we all can have fresh food, fresh food, um, that we can really be able to sustain ourselves. Black people are so creative. Black people have had to make something out of nothing all the damn time and to be able to live in, in abundance, um, to be able to really bask in the deep well of intellectual fortitude that we bring into everything that we do. Um, and it's, it's getting harder and harder to be able to see it because ultimately, and this is so pessimistic, um, but there's a beautiful struggle that I have embraced that I believe this country is going to end the way it started. And if you, end, if you, if you start bad, you're going to end bad. It was started wrong. Um, and so this idea that this is not who we are, this is exactly, this is not, I'm, as a black person, this ain't who we are, but this is exactly, this representation of who we have as a president, he is the, or this person who's occupying that space, he is the exact, he embodies everything that was needed in order to found the country in the way that it was founded. Um, he is a living, breathing embodiment of what America is how America started. Um, so this, it's a practice to be able to think through um, what it means for Black people, Black and brown people to really be able to live, to thrive, to sustain ourselves. Um, but freedom is creativity and love um, personified. And we find that joy just one last thing I want to say about why I love Black people so much. I love everybody, but I just want to say why I love Black people so much. Um, because someone was talking about the difference between happiness and joy. And that happiness is circumstantial, right? You're happy if something happens. Happiness is, you know, and that joy is something that is within you that's not circumstantial. And the reason why I love Black people so much is that we have mastered joy. Because if we waited for circumstances to bring us joy, we would be on the ground. But we have been able to really like bask in this joy um, that has brought us through. We're, we're, we're a proud, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people. And, and I will fight for our people to the day that I die. Um, but yeah, just freedom to be, really, just to be. Thank you. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Wow, I'm, I'm just rocked by that statement of the country will end the way it began. Um, I don't know if I agree with it, but that's a powerful statement. Um, and I'm, I've, I've been thinking a lot about my ancestors and what they went through. I feel it a lot in my body. You know, we carry 
they say, uh, and I believe that we carry with us um, some stuff that isn't necessarily ours, but that is um, uh, instructive and information that we need to absorb and then we can let it go. So I've been trying to learn the lessons from my ancestors and then let some things go. I'll let you think about whatever that means later. But thinking about what they went through, particularly the women, um, particularly my bloodline, particularly the women who were chronically and persistently raped and made to have babies um, from those rapes, particularly the folks that ran away, particularly the ones that were caught and brought back, um, thinking about what they went through, thinking about what we're going through. And I just believe in in my heart, in my soul, and spirit, and everything that um, made me, that there is something else coming that we may not understand or be able to visualize right now, but that there is something different coming in the future, uh, and that we're we're the work now is really um, making sure that the young folks are supported, making sure that the young people are uplifted, making sure that their work can continue, decentering ourselves and understanding that the change may be beyond us and that's okay. And we've got to lean into that being okay. We may not be here to see it. Our job is to help these young folks right now until we die. Uh, shout out to Ella Baker. Yeah, uh, if, just to add something very quickly, I just, um, you know, I think about um, the words of Ntozaki Shange in, in relation to uh, the nonprofit industrial complex and also much largely America in general. Um, I love, you know, I, I can't use another sorry, you know, I love you on purpose. Uh, this was not happenstance that we are here today having this conversation. I hope, you know, someone uh, sees this and, and, and feel, you know, feel permission to, to forgive uh, themselves and where they are, uh, start to begin or continue some type of a healing process. Uh, but I also uh, want to put out that, you know, I, I, I can't use another sorry. And I feel like right now what we're seeing with a lot of these like statements that have been put out uh, that people are not being held accountable to, there is this, this sense of, you know, we, we're sorry, we're just now, we're, we, we didn't, you know, it's like what Robin was saying, you know what I mean? It's like, um, Trump is, is showing you like that, that, that really has been, and, and, and nobody is like, you really should not have be confused at this point. You had just, you chose not to see, but like, I, like the perfect word that has been coming up for me lately to describe uh, this country, but specifically this industry, since this is what this uh, conversation has been about, is sullied. That's where we are, right? It is sullied. And in order to like, you know, make it pure again, there does have to be this abolitionist framework of tearing down to rebuild it into what it should have been to begin with. Right now it is sullied. With all of that being said, 
right? And this is kind of going back to what Toya was mentioning earlier about, you know, uh, thinking about our positionality or intersectionality um, as Black people working within these industries too. We loved you on purpose. We chose this as a career for a reason, right? We got into this, the arts were our passion, you know, educating, not teaching, educating, black and brown youth were it's our passion that's what we do we love this on purpose and now we are reclaiming that purpose and if that makes you uncomfortable or the statement that like you know robin made about the like it's up to us to change it you are not here by some mistake in the design of the universe. You are here for a reason. And if you're listening to this, you came across this for a reason. The time is now. And if you believe this, reach out to me, we can talk. I'm sure like other people too are like, we have to do it individually, but then we have to do it collectively. It's when like-minded people start to get together that it's changed brick, by brick, ripple by ripple by ripple. We loved you on purpose, and now we are reclaiming that purpose. And like Toya said, we may not all get there. We may not, we may not. But I know somewhere down the bloodline, somebody will see it. And that is the fight that we have to live for. Well, with that, I just, <laughs> y'all. Yeah, me crying over here. <laughs> like, this is amazing. Thank you so much for, you know, being real and sharing the space with me uh, and each other, and um, giving us a, a not just a lot to think about, but a, a a lot of work that we need to do and action that we can take. So thank you each, Robin, Toya. Darrell, thank you so much. Crying on the podcast, taping, like what's going on? Like, come I'm, on, y'all. Y'all got me healing tonight. Y'all got me, y'all got me healing tonight. You know, you say this is what what whoever is watching needs. This is what I needed. You know, we're all here for a reason on a Sunday. <laughs> all right. So thank you to everybody who's watching. I hope that you gleaned something from this. Uh this is uh, Teaching Our Issue with Courtney J. Body. This conversation and more will be on the audio platform. And so you should subscribe if you haven't already to SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you've heard it from Toya saying we are duty bound. You've heard it from Robin about we need to get free. And you've heard it from Darrell about how we loved you on purpose. So we will not go back. We won't go back. We can't go back onwards thank you for listening to episode 39 of teaching artistry with courtney j body what is your liberation philosophy join us next time for a conversation with russell granite this podcast is edited and produced by ben weber christopher totten is the creative content manager john waldman wrote and performed the theme song tim palin designed the logo visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch Twitter us at TA underscore artistry, the gram at teaching artistry with CJB. And now on YouTube, check out the teaching artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. 
Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.